0: I'd like to call this hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee to order. Uh, We are here today to consider nominations for five important positions. Uh, Ms. Kira McDonald for Ambassador to Lithuania, Ambassador Jack Markell for Ambassador to Italy and San Marino, Ambassador Dorothy Shea for Deputy Representative to the U.S. Mission to the U.N., Ms. Vernell Fitzpatrick for Ambassador to Gabon, and Ambassador Lisa Peterson for Ambassador to Burundi. Uh, my colleague, Senator Carper, is going to come to introduce uh, my dear friend and our former governor, uh, Jack Markel. and when he arrives, I'll suspend um, to allow him to make that introduction. Uh, let me just make some brief remarks, if I could, about the other ambassadors and nominees we'll hear from today in their order of listing by the State Department. Uh, Ms. McDonald, um, your experience as Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor, and Director of the United Nations and International Operations Uh, at the National Security Council, will serve you well in this position. I look forward to hearing how you will work with one of our most important partners um, through NATO and the EU, if confirmed. Um, I will uh, wait until my senior senator introduces uh, Ambassador Markel to make some comments. Ambassador Shea, I'm impressed by your 31 years of service in our foreign service, uh, including most recently as ambassador to Lebanon, an exceptionally difficult country. And I look forward to hearing how you will strengthen our engagement at the UN across a range of humanitarian issues. And Ms. Fitzpatrick, your time as Director of the Office of Assistance to Africa in the Bureau of Population, Refugees and Migration, known as PRM, and as Deputy Chief of Mission for the U.S. Embassy in Cameroon, um, well suits you for an ambassadorship in neighboring Gabon. I look forward to hearing how you will strengthen our partnership with this important African nation. Um, and Ambassador Peterson, um, you bring a wealth of knowledge and experience uh, from your time as Ambassador to Eswatini, Uh, to your work at DRL. Uh, I look forward to learning how you will take advantage of warming relations with Burundi or maybe less cold (laughs) relations with Burundi um, to support improvements on human rights issues and to push back on Russia's uh, malign influence in that country and across the continent. Um, Do we have an update on the timing of Senator Carper? No. Um, I will simply proceed with an introduction, if I might, um, of... um, Ambassador Markel, Um, I have known Ambassador Markel uh, and his fantastic wife, Carla, for 35 years. I did the math. Um, And um, over your decades of public service uh, as our state treasurer, as our governor, and now as ambassador um, to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, um, you've been guided by strong values and a sharp intellect, um, a dedicated and capable public servant with experience, intelligence, and character You will serve us well as US ambassador to Italy, one of our most important and longest standing partners in Europe. Um, I look forward to hearing how your experience at the OECD among your other previous positions of leadership uh, will guide you in Italy. Um, And I'll also just reference your strong educational background, uh, both at Brown University and at the University of Chicago School of Business. Um, I'll ask unanimous consent uh, to submit a resolution from the Delaware Commission on Italian Heritage and Culture in support of your nomination for the record. Um, That is my opening.
1: Senator Ricketts, did you have any opening comments? Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. I just wanted to say thank you to all of our folks that are here today for your service to our country. And of course, I'm always biased toward governors, but uh, I want to especially say thank you to our career foreign service people, because as governor myself, I know that when I've been on trade missions, the Foreign Service staff at our embassies is just top-notch and has always done a great job of representing our country. I know you and your families all sacrifice to be able to represent our great nation, that you do it uh, in such a way that really represents the United States so, so well, and uh, that, you know, you spend time outside the country, away from your friends and family. Your families also have to make that sacrifice, and just uh, I appreciate everything that you do, and then also that you all have very tough jobs ahead of you Uh, Certainly with the changing environment, we've been reminded the world is a very dangerous place with Russia's aggression in Ukraine and the rising belligerence of the Chinese Communist Party and the People's Republic of China. You're all going to have to deal with that in your respective future areas where you're going to have to manage both Russia and the PRC. And that's going to be a tough job going forward. So I just wanted to say uh, again, thank you to you and your families and look forward to hearing the testimony.
0: Thank you very much, um, Senator Ricketts, and thank you for agreeing to serve as the ranking member uh, for this uh, confirmation hearing. Um, Just a moment on um, process and timing, as you may have heard from the bells. We are in the middle of a vote on the floor of the Senate. Um, Senator Ricketts and I have agreed that we will simply suspend um, in about 20 minutes. Um, Basically, after you have concluded your openings, uh, we will suspend, run to the floor, vote, and return, um, and then begin a five-minute round of questioning. So. Um, I could not agree more um, with Senator Ricketts that I am thankful to your families um, for the support and sacrifice that is involved in service overseas um, and to each of you for the time that you have dedicated to public service um, here at home and around the world. So um, if I might, Meg, do we have any update? Thank you. Um, I'm simply going to invite um, our nominees to begin their opening statements in the order in which they were uh, noticed for this hearing. Um, And when Senator Carper joins us, uh, we'll suspend. So, Ms. McDonald, if you might begin.
2: Thank you. Chairman Coons, Ranking Member Ricketts, distinguished members of the committee, it is an honor to appear before you today as the nominee for U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Lithuania. I want to thank President Biden and Secretary Blinken for their confidence in me. Before I begin, I want to thank and honor those who make it possible for me to be here today. My husband, just behind me, Genev Mantry of 21 years of marriage, for his selfless love, his good wit, through a life in the Foreign Service. We are blessed to have two children also with us today, Liam and Kieran, whom I thank for their resilience through multiple languages, schools, uh, and countries. I also want to thank my parents and brother John for their love and support. To my dad, whose own parents never got to go to high school, but who uh, proceeded to go on to medical school, who served in the U.S. military, and who has always championed my education and my career in public service and to my late mom who passed last year for her grit uh, and for teaching me to work hard and especially to leave every place better than I found it. I am a career Foreign Service Officer with 25 years of government experience under seven presidential administrations. Much of my career has been focused on advancing freedom and countering authoritarianism in Europe and beyond. Russia's brutal war against Ukraine, I think, illustrates well that upholding freedom the sovereign right of a country to determine its future and to choose democracy is essential to our our interests in the United States and to international security. It has been a privilege for me in my current position to work with this committee to hold Russia to account over the past couple of years as well as to advance human rights in Europe uh, and beyond. And I want to thank the members of this committee for the bipartisan support and leadership that you all have shown on these issues. Um, If confirmed, You can expect that there will be no higher priority for me than the safety and security of Mission Vilnius and all Americans in the Republic of Lithuania. My second priority is to strengthen regional security and to elevate Lithuania in its support to Ukraine. Lithuania. Lithuania is punching above its weight. It is a strong partner. It is a strategic ally with outsized contributions to transatlantic security. It is hosting, as you know, uh, Mr. Chairman, in uh, Vilnius in a couple of weeks, the next NATO summit. And it consistently models investment in the alliance and its defense with current defense spending at just over 2.5% of GDP. That's because I believe Lithuania knows what's at stake. It's providing over 1 billion euro in assistance to Ukraine. It's welcoming 77,000 Ukrainian refugees. And it's even crowdfunding uh, drones and uh, radars. My third priority will be to deepen economic and commercial ties, and very specifically to support Lithuania as it de-risks its energy and commercial relationships from autocratic sources. Lithuania has led the way on energy independence and was the first EU country to stop all energy imports from Russia. Likewise, Lithuania, with support from the U.S. and others, has, has shown remarkable resilience and courage in the face of economic coercion from the People's Republic of China. My fourth priority will be to strengthen our shared work to advance democratic principles in the region. I have to say I'm inspired by the Lithuanian people who refused to accept Soviet occupation, which we also rejected. In fact, we maintained the Lithuanian embassy here in Washington, D.C., and Lithuania was the first nation to step out bravely to declare independence from the Soviet Union. Last year, we celebrated and commemorated proudly 100 years of diplomatic ties. We are truly partners in freedom. Lithuania's commitment to countering authoritarianism is evident not just in its support to Ukraine, but also in the safe harbor that it provides for Belarusian and Russian activists who continue to aspire for freedom at home. Mr. Chairman, the relationship between the United States and Lithuania is strong. If confirmed, I pledge to partner with Congress on these priorities as we strive towards a more free, a more prosperous, and a more peaceful tomorrow. Thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today and I welcome your questions.
0: Thank you very much, Ms. McDonald. Um, uh, Ambassador Markell, I may skip over you in order to allow Senator Carper the opportunity to introduce you once he arrives, is that all right? If I might, uh, Ms. Shea, please proceed.
3: Chairman Coons and Ranking Member Ricketts, distinguished members of the committee, it is a great honor to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee to serve as Deputy Permanent Representative of the United States of America to the United Nations. If confirmed, I look forward to working closely with you and your colleagues to protect U.S. strategic interests by engaging with and through the United Nations and its member states. I am both proud and humbled to again appear before this august body, having come before this committee almost three and a half years ago when I was nominated to be Ambassador to the Lebanese Republic. As I did then, I present myself to you in the spirit of public service that my parents inculcated in me. My father, Brandon Shea, served in the Army in World War II, mostly in North Africa and later in France as part of the Marshall Plan. He went on to serve for several decades at the Department of Defense. My mother also had a career in public service after raising six kids, speaking of whom I would like to acknowledge several of my siblings here today and other family members who are with them. Their love and support for me has been vital to my success and resilience throughout my 31-year foreign service career. Being in this chamber also brings to mind my time as a Pearson fellow with the Senate Foreign Relations Committee in 2009 and 10. It was a great honor to cover Middle East issues for the then-ranking member Richard Lugar, a true statesman from whom I learned a great deal. And I'm also lucky to count as friends several fellow SFRC staffers, some of whom are back there today. I've brought a commitment to public service to my three years as ambassador to Lebanon, where I've worked every day to advance U.S. interests in a profoundly complex political, economic, and security environment. I know that if I'm confirmed to take on this new challenge, I will face a diplomatic ecosystem with its own complexities, and I am braced for a steep learning curve. But I'm also well aware that I would be joining a very capable, dedicated team of public servants at the mission in New York, led by Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield, from whom I take great inspiration. I believe that American leadership at the United Nations and other international organizations is crucial to the direction, performance, and accountability of those bodies. We need look no further than the international response to Russia's unprovoked and unjustified invasion of Ukraine. In the days following the invasion, the United States led efforts to mobilize the UN membership, resulting in 141 nations voting in the UN General Assembly to condemn Russia's aggression and demand an end to the invasion. That action triggered consideration of Russia's actions in a host of relevant UN bodies, including the UN Human Rights Council, where Russia's membership was suspended. Across the international system, Russia is today less influential and more isolated. U.S. leadership at the United Nations has been evident throughout this period and underscores the value in our determined investment in a U.N. system that is ready and able to respond to the needs of today and tomorrow. That leadership is not a given. It requires constant tending and attention to our competitors. Most notably among those is China, which is making its own investments designed to reshape and redirect multilateral bodies. As this committee knows well, That effort is expanding, and the U.S. must energize its efforts to rally broad-based partnerships to safeguard institutions that should serve the interests of all member states, not just one. If confirmed, I look forward to lending my efforts to that urgent cause, as well as to working with like-minded counterparts to tackle other pressing challenges to peace and security, burgeoning humanitarian needs, and global issues, including climate change, food insecurity, the trafficking of fentanyl and precursor chemicals, transnational crime, and many more. I'm also motivated to contribute to our collective efforts to defend American values by fighting hate and anti-Semitism in the UN system. If confirmed, I look forward to adding my voice and energy to efforts to promote bold and lasting reforms across the UN system to make it more effective, efficient, representative, and credible. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Ranking Member, and distinguished members of the committee, I'm a firm believer in the confident and appropriate use of foreign policy tools to advance U.S. interests. I'm convinced that our foreign policy is best served when there's close collaboration between the executive and legislative branches of government. And if confirmed, I pledge to continue that cooperation as we pursue our vital interests through the United Nations. Thank you again for the opportunity to appear before you today and I'll be happy to take your questions.
0: Thank you, Ambassador. I'd like to now invite my friend and um, senior colleague, uh, a former state treasurer and former governor uh, from the state of Delaware, uh, Senator Tom Carper.
4: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, to our ranking member. uh, uh, Good afternoon. Uh, It's uh, an honor. Uh, to uh, to sit next to Jack Markell, not the first time, and uh, per- perhaps not the last time either. But to uh, share with uh, with you and our colleagues uh, some thoughts that I have with respect to his nomination to serve as our next uh, ambassador to uh, to the country of Italy. I've known uh, Jack Markell for over two decades as a steadfast governor. For the first should before that, I knew his mom and dad. I was an MBA student at the University of Delaware, and his dad actually ran the, uh, I think, the College of Business and Economics. So we go uh, way, way back. And um, I um, uh, just want to say, having spent a little time as state treasurer, uh, he's, I think, one of the two best state treasurers we've ever had. uh, Some would say the best. (laughs) Those of us, those who know us well would say he's the best. But uh, I've known him as a skilled uh, business person, as a compassionate uh, coordinator of Operation Allies, and most recently, I've been known as a dad, and as a son, and, and um, a father, and uh, as recently, more recently, as the ambassador uh, to the Organization of Economic uh, Cooperation and Development better known as OECD. Jack is someone whom I deeply respect, not just as a public servant, but in all those other roles that I just, just mentioned. As made clear by his Senate confirmation to represent Our nation at the OECD, he's someone who senators from both sides of the aisle can and actually do trust to serve, to steward uh, the interests of our country around the world. And I'm confident that Jack will serve the United States with great distinction as our top diplomat in in Italy, uh, and I'm honored to introduce him here Today, When I think of Jack Markell, I think a lot about the successes he's had in the first state, that's what our state is called, the first state, while overcoming a great deal of adversity. When he was first elected governor of uh, of Delaware in November of 2008, uh, the housing bubble had burst, and our nation entered uh, the Great Recession. Uh, Jack knows all too well that in adversity lies opportunity. And in the face of all that adversity, he worked to court companies from all over the world, to bring their operations, some of their operations to Delaware, to bring uh, jobs back and to retrain employees who'd lost the jobs he'd held for, for decades. For eight years as governor, he worked with both sides of the aisle to get things done to improve the lives of Delawareans, and his legacy will be felt for generations. Most importantly, he's learned how to lead with empathy. And by answering uh, President Biden's call to lead our nation's Afghan resettlement operation, he embodied the core tenet of Matthew 25 uh, to welcome the stranger in our land and to welcome our Afghan allies with open arms and open hearts. Jack's ability to connect with people from all walks of life, uh, to hear from their stories and to help uh, make life better for them is uh, why I'm confident that he'll make an excellent ambassador in this role. His deep knowledge of international relations and his experience in developing global solutions for complex issues with care and thoughtfulness will serve our country as well. That's why I urge my colleagues, our colleagues on this committee to act swiftly on Jack's nomination to serve as our U.S. Ambassador to Italy. To Jack, to his wife Carla, to his wife Carla for sharing him with uh, the people of Delaware for all these years, and for his children, their, their children, for sharing their dad uh, with, uh, with all of us. I want to thank them for, for uh, their willingness to continue to let you do these things with your life so that the rest of us can, uh, can benefit. And with that, I thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, Senator, Senator Ricketts. I thank you all for giving me the opportunity to sit next to him one more time and sing his praises. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Senator Carper. Ambassador Markel. Uh,
4: Well, thank you, uh, Chairman
5: Coons, and uh, to you and Senator Carper. Thank you so much for the uh, gracious, wonderful introductions. I was so fortunate to serve as governor with the two of you uh, in the Senate. I am truly grateful uh, for that. Uh, Ranking Member uh, Ricketts, it's uh, an honor to be in front of you as well. This is sort of the perfect uh, panel for our family. Uh, My wife and I, Carla, are both native Delawareans, but Carla... Carla's stepmother is from Nebraska uh, and told many, many stories about uh, Nebraska to us uh, over the years. Um, so it is an honor to be, appear here as the nominee uh, to serve as U.S. Ambassador to the Italian Republic and the Republic of San Marino. And I'm grateful to President Biden and Secretary Blinken uh, for their confidence. Uh, I am indebted to my family for the love and the support uh, which have played an important role in my being here. Uh, my wife, Carla, Senator Carper mentioned is here uh, with me today. We have known each other for 57 of our 62 years having met in kindergarten. Um, uh, Also indebted to our kids, uh, Michael and Molly, to my sister and her family. And I'm also grateful to my parents and my brother who were no longer with us, as well as to my brother's family. Uh, I had the honor of appearing before this committee in 2021 during my nomination to serve as the US ambassador to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. I'm humbled by the support of the committee and by my subsequent confirmation by the Senate, and serving in that role has prepared me to serve as the ambassador to Italy and San Marino. Even though my initial career was in the private sector, I had long been interested in a career in public service. I always believed that my home state and my country had given me enormous opportunities, and I wanted to play a role in ensuring that similar opportunities are available to future generations. As Governor of Delaware, concerned about the impacts of globalization and automation, I knew that the states and countries that out-educate today will out-compete tomorrow, and that's why we worked so hard to ensure that our children had opportunities to thrive in school. For those who wanted to uh, go to college, we worked to secure opportunities for them to do so, even when they couldn't afford it. And for those who wanted to go directly to work, we created new programs to help them get the skills they needed for good-paying jobs. My experiences working across the aisle and with representatives of employers, labor unions, all levels of government, and non-government organizations prepare me well to serve as the ambassador to Italy and San Marino. Given Russia's unjustified and brutal war against Ukraine, the threats posed by authoritarian regimes like the PRC in Iran, and global challenges from climate change to infectious diseases, it's abundantly clear that strong relationships with our allies are more important than ever. Italy is one such ally, and has been for many decades. Eighteen million Americans are of Italian descent. Six million Americans visit Italy annually. Italy is home to 30,000 American soldiers, sailors, airmen, DoD civilians and their dependents. Italy is a strong supporter of the Allied effort to confront Russia's war of aggression, and Italy, Italy supports the people of Ukraine with military, economic and humanitarian assistance. If confirmed, I will have four main objectives. First, I'd promote the safety and well-being of Americans living living in or visiting Italy. Second, I would expand our already deep economic ties, promoting U.S. exports and attracting additional Italian investment into the U.S. to support American jobs. Third, I would aim to maintain and deepen our very strong military and security partnership with Italy. And fourth, I'd encourage increased Italian defense spending consistent with NATO allies' 2% commitment – If confirmed, I'll be an effective representative of the United States, not only to our Italian government interlocutors, but also around the country, to business groups, students, civil society, and others. The stakes of our relationships with important allies like Italy are enormous. We are truly at an inflection point in history. Authoritarian countries like Russia, China, and Iran threaten the way of life and the values that we and our like-minded allies have enjoyed for many years. When I appeared to you before in 2021, I said the United States and our allies must continue to demonstrate that democracy, human rights, free markets, and capitalism deliver growth and innovation and a better quality of life for all our citizens. That is certainly still true today, and Italy has a key role to play. If confirmed, I'd be honored to serve as the U.S. ambassador and forge the strongest possible ties between our countries. Thank you for your consideration, and I'm at your disposal to answer any questions you may have
0: thank you very much ambassador ambassador fitzpatrick
6: chairman coons ranking member ricketts and distinguished members of the committee i'm very honored to appear before you today as the nominee for u.s ambassador to the Gabonese republic i'm grateful for the confidence president biden and secretary blinken have placed in me and for your consideration of my nomination if confirmed I'll work closely with you and all members of Congress to advance our nation's national security interests in Gabon. I would not be here today before you without the unwavering love and support of my family. I'm eternally grateful to my husband, Christopher Fitzpatrick, who's made sacrifices for my service to our country by remaining here at home while I've been posted overseas. My mother, Mary Trim, my sisters, Melissa and Deborah Trim, and my stepdaughter, Anna. Although my father, Fernando Trim, passed away many years ago, I hope he's looking down on me today with pride. Over the past 25 years, I've had the honor and privilege to represent our country in Latin America, Europe, and Africa, and in domestic assignments in Washington. Throughout my career, I've drawn on values instilled in me and my sisters by my parents, who were immigrants from St. Lucia, and who taught us the importance of hard work and sacrifice. I've also drawn from my experiences I've had as a native of St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands, where as a child I dreamt of joining the Department of State someday. I've spent much of my time, much of my career, um, promoting democracy and good governance, championing human rights, and deepening bilateral relations with various countries. I've not only promoted a greater understanding and appreciation of U.S. foreign policy, but also of the American people, building bridges and embracing mutual understanding wherever I have represented our country. Since 2010, I've worked on Eastern, Western, and Central Africa. If confirmed, I'll bring all of these experiences to bear in Gabon. Gabon is a stable, upper-middle-income country in Central Africa that is focused on diversifying its economy away from oil and mineral extraction for the good of its people. As part of the Congo Basin, the world's second long after the Amazon, Gabon is a regional and global leader in efforts to promote biodiversity and conservation, interests that we share. Thanks to its location in the Gulf of Guinea, a strategic maritime space, Gabon has an important role to play in advancing maritime security and commerce in the region. In addition, Gabon adds its voice on the global stage as a non-permanent member of the UN Security Council and as a current member of the UN Human Rights Council. It also hosted headquarters of the Economic Community of Central African States. If confirmed, my top priority in Gabon will, will be to advance the safety and security of the embassy community, both American and locally employed staff, as well as all U.S. citizens residing or visiting the country. As a career foreign service officer, I attach particular importance to the word service in my job title. There is no higher duty than ensuring the safety and security of the U.S. Embassy and the American community. Helping Gabon to protect its forests and its maritime domain will be my second priority if confirmed. The United States must continue to work closely together with Gabon to support policies that combat climate change and protect the environment, not only in the Congo Basin, but also around the world, and to counter nature crimes, such as illegal logging and wildlife trafficking. It's also important to uh, continue to build Gabon's capacity to counter illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing, counter incidents of piracy and banditry off off of its coast, and to protect its exclusive economic zone. Deepening our partnership and cooperation with Gabon bilaterally and in the international fora is my third top priority. If confirmed, I'll continue our dialogue with Gabon on issues before the UN. I'll work with our embassy team to advance several agreements we hope to sign with Gabon, including a defense cooperation agreement and a USAID bilateral framework agreement. I'll also support U.S. Wildlife Service, the U.S. Forest Service, and Initiative for Atlantic Cooperation Activities in Gabon. Having these agreements and engagements in place will more firmly anchor our partnership with Gabon. A bilateral relationship with Gabon, which dates back to the country's independence in 1960, also focuses on other important issues. These include promoting good governance and human rights, improving the business climate, which will help attract domestic and foreign investment, and enable increased commercial ties, addressing malign influences, both in the region and globally, and increasing people-to-people ties. There's much work to do together with Gabon, and if confirmed, I'll rely on my experience and the talents of the embassy team to advance our nation's priorities. Thank you once again for considering my Nomination, I look forward to answering your questions.
0: Thank you, Ambassador. Ambassador Peterson.
7: Chairman Coons, Ranking Member Ricketts, and members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to testify before you today. It's a great honor to appear as President Biden's nominee to be the next U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Burundi. I'd like to thank the people who have helped form and shape me over many years to arrive at this moment. My husband, Susan Chakala, who is currently watching, I believe, and serving as the human resources officer at our embassy in Accra, Ghana, has steered me to opportunity, guided me away from missteps, and drawn on his life in apartheid South Africa to help me hone my awareness of injustice, both on a grand scale and in everyday life. My children, both by marriage and biology, Tandeka, Njabulo, and Thabo, my late father, David, born in Nebraska, My mother, Janet, and my four siblings have all given me fantastic models of approaches to life and the people around me. Beyond my family circle, there's a whole raft of teachers, friends, and State Department colleagues who have encouraged the curiosity and developed the skills that have helped bring me before you today. Mr. Chairman, Burundi is small, densely populated, and the poorest country in the world, according to World Bank statistics. Forty percent of its over 12 million people are under the age of 15 and these young people are seeking economic opportunities they currently can't find in Burundi. It's in our national interest to support Burundi's development and reform efforts to achieve a more stable prosperous country and Central African region. The U.S.-Burundi bilateral relationship has improved greatly in the three years since President Evariste Ndaishimie assumed office. The president reengaged with the international community and pursued reforms across multiple sectors, including holding some individuals accountable for human rights abuses. In 2021, recognizing the changed circumstances, President Biden terminated the Burundi sanctions program imposed in 2015 in response to violence and repression. This action did not signify that human rights were no longer a concern. As acting assistant secretary for democracy, human rights and labor, I traveled to Burundi in 2022 to convey our concerns and urge government to take clear action to protect human rights. Ambassador Higgins, assistant secretary fee and other high level officials have delivered similar messages. If confirmed, I would continue to raise these issues with the government of Burundi. Despite these concerns, there's reason to be optimistic about Burundi's future. As chair of the East African community, Burundi has played an important role in mediating the conflict in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. The president has mended relationships with his neighbors. Burundi has re-engaged with international financial institutions, reaching a staff-level agreement with the International Monetary Fund in April on a program designed to promote macroeconomic reforms and inclusive economic growth. The government took steps to fight corruption and improve rule of law. For the second year in a row, Burundi maintained a Tier 2 ranking in the annual Trafficking in Persons Report due to significant and increasing efforts to investigate, prosecute, and convict human traffickers. If confirmed, I will encourage the government to continue along this positive path. In fiscal year 2022, the United States provided approximately $90 million in bilateral development and humanitarian assistance to Burundi. Through programs that support the government of Burundi's efforts to strengthen anti-corruption efforts, prioritize health systems, improve health outcomes, and strengthen global health security, the United States and Burundi have worked together to advance economic opportunity, combat HIV, AIDS, and malaria, improve maternal and child health, and reduce the high rate of chronic malnutrition. As we continue to assist the Burundian people, If confirmed, I would ensure this assistance is accompanied by a continued focus on the governance foundations that make economic growth and development viable and sustainable. Thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today, and I look forward to your questions.
0: Thank you, Ambassador. Thank you um, to all of our witnesses. We are now going to suspend this hearing uh, for five to ten minutes while Senator Ricketts and I go and cast a vote and formulate some piercing and penetrating questions, (laughs) and then we will return. This meeting will resume, this hearing will resume. Um, If you will forgive me uh, to begin, I have a few uh, questions. Uh, The chairman of this committee has asked that every confirmation hearing, ask these questions of every nominee. Uh, And I'm gonna ask that each of you in series, if you would provide a simple yes or no answer. Uh, To Ms. McDonald, um, do you agree to appear before this committee and make officials from your office available to the committee and designated staff when so invited?
2: Yes.
5: Yes
7: yes
0: yes yes do you commit to keeping this committee fully and currently informed about the activities under your purview yes yes yes
7: yes yes
0: do you commit to engaging in meaningful consultation while policies are being developed not just providing notification after the fact
3: yes 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 yes
0: And do you commit to promptly responding to requests for briefings and information requested by this committee and its designated staff? Yes. Yes.
3: Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: Thank you. Having successfully navigated that challenging exercise, I'll now turn (laughs) to uh, a sentence or two, a question or two of of each of you, uh, if I might. Uh, Ms. McDonald, as you may know, I'm on my um, way to Lithuania um, just uh, tomorrow and was there literally the day Russia's invasion of Ukraine began, um, how do you think um, U.S. and NATO military presence um, in Lithuania and in the Baltic regions um, is doing at successfully deterring Russian aggression, uh, and how do you assess the threats posed to the Baltic states by Russia, and how do you think we might more successfully push back on PRC economic coercion? I have a specific piece of legislation with Senator Young to to strengthen Um, U.S. uh, capabilities to resist economic coercion, if you'd speak to those two briefly, please.
2: Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. Both very important questions, and and I do uh, wish you safe travels, Um, and thank you for being willing to go. I think it is uh, part of the deterrence picture, right? And I'm a big believer in deterrence. As you mentioned, um, uh, the the picture, if confirmed, that I would like to help push forward is really what we expect to see coming out of the NATO summit in Vilnius in mid-July, which is unprecedented steps towards modernization of the NATO alliance, and that includes an enhanced security architecture in the Baltic Sea region. So with the accession of Finland, we hope Sweden, uh, looking at the map, that would then circumscribe the Baltic Sea region with NATO allies. That's tremendously important to our Lithuanian uh, friends and those who sit on the front line. I mentioned it in my opening statement. Lithuania knows what it's, is at stake. It essentially sits next to the bear's mouth, if I can put it that way. Um, secondly, I think the mill-to-mill relationship is one that's important to strengthen. Uh, thanks to the generosity of Congress, we have provided $446 million in security assistance since 2019. $141 million of that is uh, FMF financing in the last fiscal year. It would be my goal to strengthen and continue that forward. That goes towards Lithuania's national capabilities, it goes to NATO interoperability, and it goes to uh, hybrid threats, uh, cyber issues, and certainly, if confirmed, you can expect that I will um, continue to be in touch with military and Lithuanian government partners on refining and defining Thank you. China.
0: Thank you. You want me to turn I'm, to China? No, I'm, I have a brief window left. If I could, Ambassador uh, okay. Markel, about China. Um, One of the key challenges I think we face in a very close and enduring U.S.-Italy relationship um, is uh, their engagement with the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, Italy's prime minister has taken a fairly strong stance against um, Chinese encroachment and their malign influence. Um, How can we work more closely with Rome and our other close partners and allies in Europe on aligning our policies towards Beijing?
5: Uh, Thank you for the question, Senator. a very uh, significant uh, issue, and... One where uh, Prime Minister uh, Maloney uh, has uh, certainly be- been focused, you know, within the last couple of years, uh, Italy has used its golden power or rules on uh, transactions ranging from seeds to drones to chips uh, to robotics equipment, uh, as recently as this week on tires uh, to limit uh, the PRC's ability to uh, invest in, uh, in-, in Italy. Uh, As it relates to Belt and Road specifically, uh, Italy has really not seen much advantage at all uh, from the Belt and Road initiative. And I believe that the combination of the opaque uh, financing uh, that Italy has provided, the lack of information it's provided, uh, lack of transparency on a range of issues, including international health organizations, uh, the PRC's continuing over-promising and under-delivering is something that's very clear uh, to the Italians. And I certainly look forward to, uh, to working with them to make sure that they understand the magnitude of these issues.
0: Thank you, Ambassador. One last question, if I might have Ambassador Shea, and then I will defer uh, to my ranking member. Uh, I think the United Nations is one of the most critical and overlooked uh, areas uh, where the, the United States is losing influence relative to China. Uh, you mentioned it in your opening statement. Um, what's your view of uh, PRC efforts to increase their influence in the United Nations, and how can we most effectively respond?
3: Thank you for the question, Mr. Chairman. And based on my understanding, the People's Republic of China is trying to insert language in various uh, UN fora documents, uh, resolutions, to reflect its more authoritarian worldview, uh, in direct contradiction to the underlying founding principles of the United Nations. So I think it's very important that the United States hold firm that the principles on which the United Nations was founded, democracy, human rights, the rule of law, uh, and we've got to stick to that. That means we've got to build coalitions and put forward our positive vision for the United Nations.
0: Thank
1: you very much. Senator Ricketts. Great, thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. In 2014, at the NATO summit in Wales, the NATO members agreed to get to 2% of GDP spending by the year 2024. Yet despite an invasion by Russia of Ukraine, Putin's nuclear saber-rattling, and nearly ten years later, we only see seven NATO members have reached that goal of two percent. And many of the heavyweight economies that have a trillion dollars in GDP, um, notably Canada, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain, have not reached that goal. And... Italy's defense uh, defense spending in particular sits at 1.15% of GDP, and Italy said it would not meet the 2% threshold until 2028. Uh, Prime Minister Maloney has vowed to increase the defense spending uh, to reach the NATO target, and given that Italy is a critical player an anchor of NATO's southern flank, as well as deployment troops in places like Bulgaria, Kosovo, um, Latvia, uh, we need to see this promise translated into action, especially at a time what's going on. And, of course, we've got the Vilnius uh, uh, coming up uh, next month in NATO, and it really is important that our NATO partners reach this goal. It's literally depriving the alliance of tens of billions of dollars in defense that can be used toward deterrence. Um, We really need to see this happen, and so, Ambassador Markel, do you view Prime Minister Maloney's pledged to reach 2% as credible? And if so, when would you expect Italy to be able to reach that goal? Uh,
5: Thank you for the uh, question, Senator. Uh, What I can tell you is that I totally agree uh, with the premise of the question, the importance of Italy reaching that 2%. When I uh, engage with my interlocutors in uh, Italy, including uh, the Prime Minister, uh, I'll make clear that we're really looking at that not so much as a – a ceiling but as a floor, uh, and uh, as I mentioned in my introduction, uh, that is one of my highest priorities uh, as it relates to my uh, time in Italy as ambassador, if I am confirmed. I couldn't agree with you more about
1: being the 2 percent being a ceiling and not a floor. Do you have any feel for how long it would take Italy to be able to get there? Uh,
5: I, I don't, um, and I just have not been read in, uh, read into that. Uh, but uh, it's something that, again, will be one of my highest areas of focus and something that I would intend to engage with the committee on as well.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Ambassador. And Ambassador Shea, you know, if confirmed you'll be, one of the roles you'll be is representing the U.S. on the uh, U.N. Security Council. And one of the failures of the Security Council um, is to, in a number of international crises, including discouraging uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but also Iran's, uh, Ill intentions. The failure of the JCPOA and the UN Security Council Resolution 2231 has failed to c- contain Iran in enriching uranium and in curb its nuclear ambitions. On October 18th of this year, the UN's prohibition against Iran transfers of long-range drones and ballistic missiles uh, will expire. As will the UN asset freezes and visa bans uh, against dozens of Iranian entities and individuals involved with the nuclear and ballistic missile programs. Iran has already violated the UN's prohibition against arming Iran by sending hundreds, if not thousands, of drones to Russia, uh, You know the suicide type drones we've seen. Uh, this should trigger the snapback sanctions um, against Iran, but they've not been triggered. It's critical that these get triggered before October 2023 when this agreement expires. Um, What what can we do with regard to making sure that those snapback uh, sanctions get triggered, and what's your understanding about what our agreement with the E3 is with regard to those uh, snapback sanctions?
3: Senator, I'm better prepared to answer the questions that are directed uh, to me with respect to the UN and uh, uh, the diplomacy that we'll be conducting in New York. Um, What I can tell you is I share your consternation about Iran's uh, uh, blatant violation of UN Security Council resolutions, whether with respect to nuclear, uh, other uh, ballistic weapons, uh, the provision of kamikaze drones to Russia for use against civilians in Ukraine, all of this is unacceptable, and it needs to be called out, exposed, and stopped. Um, I commit to uh, working through uh, the administration, if confirmed, To help address these concerns, whether through the United Nations or elsewhere. Some of these actions are going to require diplomacy outside of the UN. I'm not as well prepared to address those today, sir.
1: Great. Thank you very much, Ambassador. And Mr. Chair, I just also want to flag that there are news reports that the Biden administration is in negotiations with Iran. We don't know, obviously, the validity of this because it's not been confirmed, but highlight that we are the Committee of Jurisdiction on this and that it would do the Biden Administration well to come and brief, certainly in a classified setting, what is going on and have Mr. Robert Malley and Mr. Brett McGurk here to tell the Foreign Relations Committee about this rather than us finding about in newspaper accounts. Agreed. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Cruz. Thank
8: you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Ms. Peterson. The internationally accepted definition of anti-Semitism is enshrined in the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance's working definition, the so-called IRA definition. That definition says it's anti-Semitic to engage in the quote-unquote targeting of the state of Israel conceived as a Jewish uh, collectivity by applying double standards not applied to similar democracies. Ms. Peterson, do you agree with the IRA definition that it is anti-Semitic to target Israel using double standards?
7: Yes, Senator, I agree. Okay.
8: Ms. Peterson, while you were at the top of DRL, the Bureau published a notice of funding opportunity, what's called a NOFO, essentially a grant offer, for $1 million to fund NGOs to launch human rights investigations against and inside Israel. Now, as you know, I vociferously opposed that NOFO. I called for it to be canceled. I wrote a letter to Secretary Blinken highlighting that it was an outrage and that it was anti-Semitic under the plain terms of the IRA definition. In my letter, I outlined how your grant offer echoed decades of double standards and anti-Semitic campaigns against Israel and against Israeli Jews. How it echoed accusations that Israel steals lands and commits crimes against humanity. My letter was signed by a dozen Republicans. I also questioned in writing the president's then nominee to be the head of DRL, Uz Rosea, about this grant. Now, there are a couple of things we didn't know at the time, but which we recently discovered. The first is that the State Department's own office to combat anti-Semitism, the special envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism, was also saying the same thing. They were saying the grant violated the IRA definition and they were saying it applied double standards to Israel. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the person who was pushing the grant through the State Department, the person who was at the very top of approving it and defending it from criticism and answering questions, including my questions in my letter, that person, Ms. Peterson, was you. Ms. Peterson, why did you push for an anti-Semitic grant targeting Israeli Jews that even the State Department's anti-Semitism envoy wouldn't approve?
7: Thank you very much for the opportunity to address this question, Senator. Let me first clarify that no activity was actually funded under this notice of funding opportunity. And I want to underscore that I personally take seriously any allegations of anti-Semitism and I am committed to working against it wherever it occurs. The policy of DRL is the policy of the Biden-Harris administration, and we continue to steadfastly support Israel and reject any and all delegitimization efforts. The Special Envoy's Office was among the entities that highlighted for us after, unfortunately, this... Notice of Funding Opportunity had gone public, how this could be construed. They should clearly have been brought in while this was being formulated. Um, We did continue to let that process run its course. We attempt to deliberately make our Notices of Funding Opportunity broad in order to try to receive innovative proposals. Once we received everything that came in, responding to what was in that Notice of Funding Opportunity, we ran things through our very rigorous panel review process. Um, We heard the concerns from The Hill, we heard the concerns from American Jewish organizations, met with some of them to further hear concerns and explain what we were trying to accomplish. But after the review and consideration of all of the factors in what we had originally thought we were trying to achieve and what had come in in actual applications, we did not feel that anything that came in um, really met what was required to take an activity, a legitimate activity forward in Israel.
8: Well, you're absolutely right that it wasn't funded. And it wasn't funded because of my criticism, which your office tried hard to push back against. And, and in fact, I knew you would say what you just said because I'm holding the answers that you and your office prepared for the State Department to give to Congress. And you prepared these answers back in 22 because, and, and I'll just go ahead and quote you, because reports that quote, the Department is supporting the delegitimization of Israel or the BDS movement or contributing to anti-Semitic activities with Senator Cruz calling for it to be canceled. Now, there are a couple of things about what you just said. First, this set of answers from back in 2022, I'm looking at the approvals on the back of it, and it was also not approved by your own office of anti-Semitism. So, when the State Department is facing, rightly, accusations of being anti-Semitic, and you're defending against them, and your own office of anti-Semitism is echoing those charges, why on earth do you still lock the office of anti-Semitism out of reviewing the answers and dig into defending a notice to fund an attack on Israel that was plainly unjustified and well within the standard definition of anti-Semitism?
7: Senator, I will say flat out it is deeply unfortunate that the Special Envoy's Office was not part of that clearance, but I will clarify that once we reached the point of the panel review process for the applications that actually came in on that Notice of Funding Opportunity, they were very explicitly included in the review process of the applications.
8: Thank you.
0: Any further questions? Thank you, um, Senator Cruz. Thank you, Senator Ricketts. Um, With that, we have concluded today's hearing. I appreciate the presence and testimony of all five nominees, um, and I look forward to advancing you through the committee. Thank you. With that, this hearing is adjourned.